message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Mr. Hank, come in and uh, we have a seat for you here. And I met Mr. Hank uh, years ago, uh, Alan and Holly. Uh, Alan is his son, daughter-in-law. Uh, attended at Shadowbrook uh, where I was preaching and and uh, he would attend with them and uh, I met I guess the first occasion maybe was when you were visiting your your dear wife he would go every single day and uh, go to the bedside his wife was in in a care home and uh, receiving care and he would go there first thing in the morning and stay till late night by her side every single day and uh a testimony of love. And I said, this guy really, this guy has an incredible amount of love. He comes from a Jewish background. He's going to tell you all of that. And yet, our relationship began to grow over the years as more and more and more, God just began to open his eyes to the gospel. So uh, I don't want to say any more because you have a fascinating story. I want you to take us back to uh, Battle of the Bulge. I mean, we read about it. We hear about that. But very few people can say, okay, that guy right there, he, he fought in the Battle of the Bulge. We hear about Nazi concentration camps. You know, we see historical record of that, and, and this morning we, we're blessed to have somebody who comes and says, yeah, God spared me through that. So, Mr. Hank, we love you. You know my love and my respect for you, and uh, you just share us what God has laid upon your heart this morning, okay? Thank you, Bobby. First, let me say hello to everybody. I appreciate your friendship your hospitality, and I know that God, in His infinite wisdom, in His plan, brought me here today so that I can pass along to you my experiences, both militarily and spiritually, so that I can, in my own way, Try to bring glory to God. And I want to start off by explaining to you and telling you about a young Jewish boy who, when he was eight years old, had the misfortune of losing his mother. His mother of 32 passed away. And his dad, who was a World War I veteran, had been gassed during the fighting in the trenches in France, and his health was not the best in the world. And Hank's grandmother and grandfather perceived that at the time and decided that there was no way that Hank was going to wind up on the streets or in a foster home, or a place like that. The answer was that they were going to adopt him as their son, not their grandson. And that's what they did. And Hank grew up in this Orthodox Jewish home, went to Hebrew school, had his bar mitzvah, learned how to read the Torah, And every Friday evening and every Saturday morning, Hank and his grandfather walked to synagogue. 
And as ill as the grandfather became, the grandfather did not want any help. He was going to continue to walk. That eight-year-old boy and that 55-year-old man walking to synagogue every Friday night, every Saturday morning, until unfortunately at the age of 60, Hank's grandfather passed away. The grandmother continued to maintain the kosher Jewish home. Hank finished school, went to work, and in October of 1942, he found himself in the Army down in Camp Atterbury, Indiana. I'm sorry, Camp Landing, Florida, with the 79th Infantry Division. And for the next two years, Hank received a very, very comprehensive training as to how to become a top-notch combat infantryman. And he trained with different divisions, and he became an expert in the machine gun. And he was trained in intelligence and reconnaissance. And in October of 1944, Hank's division at that time, the 106th Infantry Division, of which Hank was a member of the 422nd Infantry Regiment, sailed for England. And with, after further training in England, they moved over to France, and we moved slowly across France and wound up in an area called the Ardennes Forest. The Ardennes Forest was an area that bordered Luxembourg, Belgium, France, and Germany. And it was a 90-mile battlefront. Three divisions took care of that. The 99th, the 106th, and the 28th. Normally, a division will cover four or five miles. So we were very, very stretched out, very thin, as it were. And part of the information that we got going through German lines was that they were building up their inventory. They were bringing in hundreds of what we call Tiger tanks, 75-ton tanks, and more armored vehicles. That information was sent back to Eisenhower. And the answer from Eisenhower was, in essence, you're in a very heavily wooded area. We cannot perceive that the Germans would try to come through your area with thousands of men and hundreds of tanks and vehicles. And on the 16th of December, 1944, at 5.30 in the morning, along that 90-mile front, 1,600 German artilleries started blasting. And it was chaos, real chaos. Part of the problem was that they were using anti-personnel shells, which burst in the trees, not on the ground as they normally do. As a result, our foxholes, our log huts, any other kind of protection that we had was redundant. It simply didn't mean anything. And we had all we could do to 
confront this assault. This was a strategy that Hitler had devised because he knew that Germany was in in trouble. And he wanted to burst his way through the Ardennes, get to Antwerp, a main supply center. And from that, put the Germans in better shape. But for the first three, four days, we were able to slow them down, stop them on some occasions, and at the same time wait for reinforcements that Eisenhower was late in sending up. And our, one of our missions, and I wound up with a group of about 25 men trying to retake a town called Blyauf, Germany, which was a supply area, and also free up some of the roads that the Germans had taken over. And it turned out that we were surrounded completely by these tanks. And all we had to combat them with was rifles, machine guns, and rifle grenades. We were short of supplies. We were short of ammunition. Weather was a big factor. It was zero degrees, snow up to your hips, and we had no air support. So we were literally sitting ducks for these Germans. And on the 19th of December, the officer that was with us surrendered. And that night we spent in a churchyard. The following day we moved out and proceeded to walk about another 50, 60 miles where the Germans found a town called Geraldstein and they loaded us on boxcars. These were what they call 40 and 8 boxcars, originally from World War I. They were designed to hold 40 men or 8 horses. And when we got in them, it was as if the horses had just been there. No sanitation at all. And they locked us in. And we were there for the next two and a half days. And part of the problem on New Year's Eve, we were bombarded by the RAF in a freight yard near Limburg, Germany. The Germans had taken off and there was no way that we could get out. But the next morning, Christmas morning, December 25th, they let us out, gave us a little food and water. And we arrived at our first prison camp, Stalag, on that day. It was called Barov, Stalag 9B. And we stayed there for a month where I was segregated along with other Jewish men in a separate barracks. And the Germans came in every day without fail and beat on us and whipped us because at that time the Holocaust was going on. We were aware of it, but obviously we had no control over what was going on. But our main thought was survival. That I recall. We sat, we talked, during that period of time, 
exchanged all kinds of pleasantries about family, food, and I had written a diary. I brought today a copy of that diary. The other diary, the original, is in a safe place. And this contains foods and a log, etc. And uh, at the time that we were captured, uh, 25 men were marched out into a field. And we were searched, arms up in the air. And in the course of that search, the German sergeant started arguing with the German lieutenant. And the gist of his argument was that they were wasting time, and they were on a timetable. And that they were spending too much time with us. And the German lieutenant asked him, well, what would you have me do? And the sergeant said, shoot them. And I don't know how many of you might be familiar with the fact that two days earlier, the 17th of December, the Germans had ambushed over 80 men, marched them out into a field and machine gunned them. And we were aware of that. And we simply felt that that was going to happen to us. But at that time, about that time, the German lieutenant walked in front of me and found my diary. And he pulled it out of the pocket, looked at it, asked me what it was, and I told him that if you let me keep it, I want to keep a log daily of all the events in the Stalag so that when this is all over, I'll have something that I can look at, have some memories about. In the meantime, the sergeant is arguing with that lieutenant. And the lieutenant looked at me, looked at the men I was with, handed the book back to me and said, good luck. And looked at the sergeant and said, move them out. And it was that night that we, that was at that time that we spent the night at the church. And so, after one month, we were moved to another camp called Stalag 9A, Ziegenheim. The other German prisoners that were moved out at the end of January of 45, they wound up in a German slave labor camp run by the Holocaust people. They were privates and PFCs. I was a non-com. And I think at that time, although I didn't realize it, God was looking after me. God worked it out so that I was not included with those men that wound up in that slave labor camp because they suffered over 50% casualties. At the end of March of 45, we were liberated by the 6th Armored Division, which was one of General Patton's divisions. And shortly thereafter, I was flown back to Le Havre in France, and we were examined there. They had a, uh, like, tents, medical tents set up on the tarmac at the airport. 
and I had lost 55 pounds. I weighed 110 pounds. And uh, I was given the opportunity either go to Camp Lucky Strike, which was a redistribution center where I could get uh, a new weapon, new uniform, new supplies, and be put on a boat. Or I could go to the hospital. Well, I was no dummy. I went, I went to the hospital. And I spent a month in the hospitals in France trying to regain my strength, some weight, and so forth. And after a month, they gave me the same options, either Camp Lucky Strike, as I described, or they'll fly me back to the States. And again, I hadn't lost my sanity, and I picked the plane. All I had was a new uniform and a dop kit. And we flew from Le Bourget Field to the Azores, to Newfoundland, to Mitchell Field in Long Island. And after that, I was given another 60 days of R&R, rest and rehabilitation. And I was discharged in November 1945 from Fort Meade, Maryland, and went home to Boston, my home. And I had a job to go back to, but I didn't see any future in it. And I told my grandmother that I was going to Atlanta because part of the time I was stationed in the States, in Alabama, I visited the USO and I met a man and we, he befriended me. And he said, when this is all over and hopefully you survive, Come down and see me, and I'll help you decide what to do with your life. And that's where I was headed. I came to Atlanta, met him. We sat and talked. He said, I believe you belong in the retail merchandising business. And he called a friend of his at one of the local department stores called Davison's. Davison Paxson Company. I don't know how many of you might be familiar with it. They hired me. And I went to work for Davison's, selling. I had never sold anything in my life, but I learned, and I became quite good at it. And I also met my wife there. She was in the women's department, a beautiful brunette. I couldn't keep my eyes off of her. And I remember that I stayed there, and... Uh, about seven years, we got married, and I moved down the street to another department store, the big one, called Riches. And Riches eventually was owned by Federated Department Stores. Out of our marriage, we had two sons, and each son had two daughters. And so we had four granddaughters and two great-granddaughters. And since that time, since my wife passed, I have been blessed with a great-grandson, Jacob. And I love him to death, obviously, as I do everybody in the family. But I know that during the time my wife was ill, I sat with her, both at home and in a nursing center, 
holding her hand, talking to her, trying to encourage her, listening to her remorse about not being able to be a wife and how sorry she was. And reading to her the 23rd Psalm, which was her favorite and mine, all the time. Until the last minute, she was still lucid, talking about the girls, supporting the girls, loving the girls, being there for the family. And we were living in Roswell at the time, and I used to drive from Roswell to Swanee, where one of my sons and his family lived and went to church, Shadowbrook Baptist Church. And every Sunday morning, I drove to church to be with them, to listen to the service, but more importantly, to be there, to show my support, to show my love, and how important they were to me. And it took about 10 months, and I realized that I had a spiritual gap in my life. And I had concerns. And I realized that the sermons that Brother Bobby was talking about, the verses that he was mentioning, he was talking to me. He was telling me God's Word. And I sat with Brother Bobby. And the first thing he said was, Hank, you're one of God's chosen few. And with that, he went on to relate the role that God had played in my life. And as he was talking, I began to think about the early days of my life. The loss of my mother at eight. The adoption by my grandparents. Walking to synagogue every Friday night and Saturday morning with my grandfather. And then his loss, because he was my mentor at that time. Going to work, winding up in the service, surviving that horrendous, incredible Battle of the Bulge. And the days and months that I spent at the German Stalags, being bitten, beaten, being bitten, beaten many times. And several weeks later, we had a guest pastor. And at the end of his sermon, he said, all those that want to accept Jesus but haven't done so, please raise your hand. Stand up and come forward. And the next thing I knew, I had raised my hand. And I stood up, and I walked down that aisle to the altar. And Brother Bobby was sitting in the front pew. And he came over and gave me the typical Brother Bobby hug. And he said, Hank, is this what you want to do? And I said, yes. Now with that, he turned me around and introduced me 
to the congregation. And shortly thereafter, we had a welcoming session. And I found out that over half those people had been praying for my wife and myself. And two weeks later, on the birthday of one of my granddaughters, who's sitting here today, Brother Bobby baptized me. I was 83 years old. And my life hasn't been the same. I knew then, as I know now, that I had to know more about God, that I had to know more about Jesus, and I had to know more about myself. And I've worked on that. I've tried. I had lost my freedom. I had regained my freedom. But God, through Jesus, had set me free. And since that time, I have tried to live as God has commanded. I have thanked God for each day that he gives me. For all the blessings that he has bestowed upon me. For his wisdom. For the strength that he has given me. And the plan he has had for me. I realize that at the age of eight, I started on a journey with God. And at the age of 83, I was still on that journey. And now at 96, I'm still on that journey. So, I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that is my testimony. I am so humbled being here knowing that God brought me here. Knowing that my dear brother Bobby invited me here to share my story and God's story with as many people as possible. So I wish you all God's best, God's blessings, and may you enjoy your families, each one of them, as I have. And may I make one other comment. Those of you who have people in your families who have served this country, don't hesitate to ask them and thank them and tell them how much you love them for their service and how proud you are of them. It's a blessing that you can give them as you continue to bless God. Thank you very much.
Now, I've heard that story about four or five times. Uh, him speak in front of others and you know we get fascinated that somebody lived out history that we've only read about in books and that you know that he lived that again the battle of the bulge we can't even begin to imagine and concentration camps and all that but but i hope you heard the entirety of that story i remember you telling me the the first time i was captivated that when the tanks were coming over and they knocked down that fence and and all those that were captive in that concentration camp you know, just that feeling of freedom. And uh, I believe I'm getting this right. See, I'm more forgetful. You, you've got every fact down at 96, and I'm forgetting. But uh, he said that they took him back, and you were allowed to eat, and y'all basically made yourself sick, so that y'all just started eating everything. A case of sea rations. Yeah. <laughs> And so we're fascinated by that. You know, we're fascinated of liberation. And yet I hope that you heard of God's grace and his amazing pursuit of Hank throughout his life. You know, we spoke before and we sang about a reckless love and this pursuing of leaving the 99 to go after the one. And if you don't hear that in that story of God's just not only his protection, and we don't make light of that physical protection and keeping his family together and all those things. But I, I pray that you hear his heart because his desire is to make much of Jesus Christ and to say that, you know, God never stopped pursuing him in his life. And to see him baptized. Probably, you know, I, I've baptized nearly a thousand people over the years. And, and you know, you stand out because this just was an answer to, to so many prayers and just a miraculous thing that God has done. And yet... I want you to know that your baptism and your coming to Christ is just as miraculous. It may, we may not have the story that goes, but to understand that, that we were in a war, and it may not have been World War II, but we were in a war against God. You know, the Bible says that we were actually the enemies of God in our sinfulness. And he doesn't say that to, to make us feel bad. He, he's just pointing out the facts that he is holy. We sang the first song this morning, holy, holy, holy. And that is God, and he always has been, and he always will be. And yet, we are part of mankind that that chose to rebel against this holy god and yet at that very moment already in genesis we begin to see the gospel we see god already has a plan in store to send a rescuer one that would knock down fences just like the fence that that contained you in that barbed wire as those tanks came in and freed you on that day your day of liberation and world war ii that God already had a plan to liberate all those that would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so that's what Hank would want you to know today. And that's why I, you know, I always tell him that he says, well, I want to spend more time on the spiritual things than I do the war things. And I'm going, I, I like that as a pastor, but I want to hear more of the war things, you know, because there's just, I mean, essentially the curiosity. And he has tons and thousands and thousands of stories this book this diary is filled with all kinds of different things and they're fascinating stories but his heart's desire yeah i could make much of all that and it there is a story to tell and yet i want to make much of jesus christ so i i pray that as you have attended today as you've come to hear mr hank that you hear the completion of that story and god's grace throughout the entirety of his life now at 96, still using him for the kingdom of God to make much of Christ. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, it's one of those things that that would be our biggest hope. That's, that's our joy here. That's what we're about. 
seen people set free. And you and I may never live in a concentration camp. We may never know what it's like to be separated and beaten and, and to, to not know if you're going to live from one day to the next in a physical way. And yet this morning, without Christ, I, I want you to, to understand, not in a demeaning way, but just in a realistic way, that we are in captivity. And whether it was 12 years old like I, that I, God opened my eyes to the beauty of the gospel and the beauty that Christ had died for me, or whether it was 83 years old, or whatever age you might be, that God has had this plan, this reckless love of leaving the 99 and coming after the one to see him have true freedom and liberty. I'd love to talk with you afterwards. We're not one, we don't really raise our hands here in the church in the sense of, I'm not going to lead us in prayer and and say, okay, if if you want to know Jesus, raise your hand. We'd rather talk to you personally. And so just know that you can talk to me after the service. I'd love to have breakfast with you. I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee or sometime. And let's just sit down if you have questions about what does it mean to really know Jesus Christ. Not just know about him, but truly have this freedom in your life. Myself, Jeff, any of the other pastors, the elders would love to spend time with you. So please don't hesitate to come up to us after the service and do that. Or even at this very moment. We're going to sing one more song, and actually two songs. We're going to end with what we call a reflection song. And it's actually the song that we sang right before Mr. Hank spoke about reckless love. His life characterizes the amazing reckless love of God. When we sing that song, I want you to imagine not just the glory of this story, but a God that knocks down walls, that climbs mountains, that goes in the midst of concentration camps to open up eyes so that they can see. For I was dead, and now I live. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, but cut by your mercy, now I see. That's the story of freedom. And we make much. We're patriots here. We, we love our country. We wear red, white, and blue. But guys, that pales in comparison. I'm not trying to offend any soldier and any person who's given of your time, your energy, and in the, in the armed force. I'm not making light of that. I'll thank you for your service. I'm not making light of our patriotism. I just want to make much of Christ. Because this patriotism that we have now will last years and a lifetime. The freedom that Christ brings lives for eternity. And that's the promise that one day, Mr. Hank, you'll be by that lovely bride forever and ever and ever. That's our hope. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.